Good day, dear listeners. Steve Freda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest is Susanna Wupong Carver, who is the founder and executive director of the Foundation for Family and Community Healing, a nonprofit dedicated to helping others learn to create positive and rewarding relationships with each other and the earth. She's a frequent blogger with Psychology Today, who has a master's in positive psychology from UPenn. And she also holds a PhD in pharmaceutical sciences. So welcome to the show, Susanna. Thank you, Steve. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, Absolutely. I don't often have uh, social entrepreneurs on this podcast, or I would say I don't normally have nonprofit leaders on this podcast because you define yourself as a social entrepreneur. I'm very curious about our conversation. So my first question is, how does one become a social entrepreneur? How how does that journey look like? Well, you know what they say, Steve, it's uh, desperation or inspiration. And I I guess in my case, it was some of both. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Personal desperation, because after a long career in higher education and then switching to doing professional and personal development, leadership and career development work, my life fell apart when I lost my sister and husband to cancer in 2018. And then it turned into inspiration because just like uh, when you're, when, when everything in your life burns down, you have the opportunity to become the Phoenix. And I received a divine inspiration to bring solutions to the world in the way of relationship skill education. And as a lifelong educator and someone who saw, saw a lot of I guess a big gap in, in not only our traditional education, but in professional development education, big gap between what we learn and what we can do. So I, we're really focused on closing that gap and helping people provide the skills so they can develop new behaviors that can change their lives, their families, their workplaces, their communities, and really all of earth. So it's really a combination. And um, I bet a lot of people have some combination of both too, when they're taking on a grand adventure and, and venture. Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> uh, so let's, uh, you know, let's start to peel the onion. So what you called, we talked about previously about your blueprint that you have developed, and I think you called it the emotional and intuitive leadership. So I have two uh, questions here. One is that what I heard from people when they went through some personal hardship, heartbreak, then it really helped them uh, to discover more of their personal depth and become more emp- empathetic. So I wonder if that is was an input into developing your, your program, Emotional Intuitive Leadership. And, and then what is this program? What is the problem? Uh, what is this program or what is this concept? Uh, about? Oh, the concept. Okay. Um, yes, absolutely. I, I, I know a lot of people shy away from challenge, um, but I feel that the bigger the challenge, the bigger your growth opportunity. And so while I wouldn't wish that on anybody, I also know that when life presents that to you, you have an opportunity to to really grow and blossom. And for me, as you've gathered, I've spent my whole life in school or working in, in the educational system. And I was so much in my head. And one of the worst things that ever happened to me, Steve, was when I got everything I ever wanted that, you know, I got tenure and how a, a nice house in the suburbs and two kids and 
it was the list that my mind created for myself as a recipe for happiness. But the problem was I never checked in with my heart. And so having these challenges and traumas has, has taught me that if I stayed in my head, I would just crumble due to stress and anxiety and fear and self-doubt. But by going into my heart and into my intuitive self, my inner voice, that there is a uh, much bigger version of me, um, one that is um, aspirational and does not know fear and is also the truest version of me, my, my authentic self. And so over the years, I've just learned to listen to that inner wisdom um, in balance with my intellectual, um, where I really are I'm finding my inner compass through my that inner that quiet inner voice that whispers to me. And I use my brain to execute and get things done. And then I put my brain away in the gun safe because that's where I think it belongs most of the time because our brains tend to be very judgmental and fearful. So uh, finding the balance between the two and really actually I'm relying so much more on my intuition and my empathy, how I feel, my emotional intelligence, um, feeling into how others feel, just uh, provide so much more useful information and data to find the path forward. And why wouldn't we use all the data that's available to us? Absolutely. It makes so much sense. So, so what is the process? How do you do that? How do you develop this muscle of being able to listen to your inner voice, you know, being aware? Uh, when I was younger, I had a real problem with this. Probably I still, my wife uh, would still say that I have a problem with this, but I have uh, come to be able to listen to some degree and to, uh, you know, to, uh, to slow down and and to try to tap into my, my feelings and misgivings and try to unpack why, why am I having this and trying to figure out where it comes from and then uh, reflect on it. What is the process as you see it for someone, if, if someone wants to really develop this intuition and being able to listen to it, how do you do that? Well, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Steve, that it's, it's, a, it's sort of like a muscle. And even when I was just in my head 24 uh, seven, that monkey, that monkey mind, uh, I've somehow always known that when the really important decisions had to be made, that I quieted my mind and I looked for the wisdom underneath the chatter in my brain. And even my, the, the one that's always in my head was able to do that. But doing that more throughout the day is helpful and important to stay connected to that inner wisdom because all those little decisions add up. And so I hate to tell you, but it truly has to do with being mindful, having a mindfulness practice and, and meditating is like heavy weight lifting for mindfulness. So it doesn't have to always be meditation, but it's just a practice of being present. So while Christopher was ill, I would just sit in the Florida room and I would be completely present with nature because being in the future at all was just too scary <laughs> and stressful. And um, so I, I almost had to develop that as a survival and stress management technique. And when you do that, when you clear your mind, then that you can hear that little voice. And that little voice just tells you the most amazing things. And when you learn to follow it, you go, oh, wow, that's a source of wisdom that I didn't know I had, a source of strength. 
and you start to really cultivate that voice. And with, with time and with practice, you can get better and better at listening. And it's not just to our inner voice, but, you know, we can even listen to nature as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I really want to get into that as well, but I'm just, (laughs) as you spoke, I remembered an old uh, CEO that I worked for. He, he ran a big uh, bank. He was a Frenchman. His name was Bernard Yoncourt. And when he came in to run our bank, which was a a 3000 person bank in central Europe, he would, uh, you know, it was a very chaotic situation, lots of losses and lots of uh, conflicts. And he would run these executive sessions with I don't know, 12, 15 executives and they would debate stuff. And, and then everyone would look to him to make a decision. And then he said, hmm, I have to sleep on this. And then he went away and we came back a day or two later and he made his decision. Uh, so he, it was not an analytical thing because he's got, he had all the information presented to him. So he got the numbers and and uh, the uh, the uh, the stories and everything, but he just had to uh, kind of synthesize it and uh, and to listen to his gut, I guess, uh, yeah. to, to come up with a decision. So uh, I, I get it. How maybe uh, someone can uh, hone the skill of trying to do it for themselves, but how do you help someone else? do this um, so that they, you know you talk about uh, you know using intuitive intelligence to inspire and motivate so as a leader how do you uh, pull this lever to help other people get inspired uh, how does that work that's a beautiful question well I, I think the what we can come up with from our intuition to me is really like our soul's purpose why are we born on earth what are we here to accomplish? And when we speak about something that is at that level, it just has a magnetism to it that I think something that comes out of our head might not have that, that, that degree of resonance with people. Like there's something at the heart and soul level that resonates with people at their heart and soul. And so it tends to touch that nerve in other people when they, they go, ah, yes. This is a truth. This is some. This is a game changer. This is something of deep wisdom that that we need, that we have forgotten, that we uh, need to create in our lives. And so, um, and I just feel that that when we communicate with our minds, that's where we believe that we're all separate and different, and we have different beliefs and values and desires. But when we communicate at the soul and intuitive level, we know that we're. We all want the same thing. We all want good lives and healthy lives. And we want, we want that for everybody and everything. And we don't, we don't believe in the zero sum game at the heart and soul level. And so there's a, con- a connectivity when we communicate at that level and we live at that level that I think is very attractive and magnetic and people want to participate. So is it kind of a reflective process where you ask questions and then People start to uh, to elaborate on their desires, and then you kind of pull the strings to to pull it out of them. Is this how that works, or is it? Uh, do you actually read between the lines and, and and tell them what you think this may be? And so, is it uh, like pulling the string, or is it uh, feeding them uh, your perception of things? 
Well, so I guess there's two different points of view. So when I'm doing my soul work, then people are attracted to it and they say, I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. And sometimes they say it without thinking and they'll identify what's in their heart without it going through their head first. And sometimes there's revelations that come just by having those conversations because you're talking on a different level, again, the heart and soul level. As a coach, you know, when I was at Penn, I, I did my capstone on callings. And um, it's, it's, again, this, a similar idea that we have a really deep, authentic purpose. And, and if I'm not, I'm not talking to people about my work, it is something that I can often um, dis <clears throat> discover with somebody by asking questions that are at the heart and soul level. And so um, if they're answering with their head, then, then they're going to end up with a, a to-do list like mine that led me down a path of unhappiness. But if, if I can get them to answer from, the, from their heart level or their soul level, then it's more likely to be something resonant and genuine. It, it may not be their 50-year plan you know, or 30-year plan. It might be their five-year plan, like what they need to do next. But as long as we keep following our, our resonant and authentic purpose, um, it'll take us down a path to where we can reach a higher ground, a, a greater vantage point, and then we can see what that next plateau is for us, that next thing to reach for. And I think we go around and around up this mountain or whatever, um, climbing up to be our higher self. And it's not usually a straight line. We have to go in circles sometimes and into the dark and into the shadows a lot of the awareness and knowledge comes through, through that work, that shadow work, and through that, the challenges that we talked about um, help us uncover our true self and, and what we're here to do. Can you give an example of, uh, it doesn't have to be a real person, but maybe, you know, something that you come across where someone kind of uh, blurted out that, that desire, which was maybe just a couple of years down, and then you uh, kind of uh, unpacked it over time and it, it became a big vision that was really inspiring and they went after it. Let's see. It's, it's hard to know because uh, I started this work when I was faculty and I've lost touch with a lot of um, students since then. But, but yes, I, I think what it's easy to see when they come upon this purpose. Um, pursuing it is another matter because um, you have to get beyond your I must, I should, I have to, you know, types of statements where it might teach you, keep you tethered to your current career path, which pays the bills and buys the nice cars and all that, and the tuition and the food and water and that kind of stuff. Um, so there are the realities of life. But, but yes, uh, you can tell when somebody has accessed their inner purpose because they light up from the inside. Um, it's like a light bulb goes on, they sit up straighter and they get excited about it. Um, and if they honor it, they, if they honor that spark, it'll grow. But oftentimes they, they let it go because it's just not the right time for them to pursue it. Mm -hmm. But I think that they remember it on some level and they will come back to it. So I work with uh, companies, the leadership teams of companies. And one of the things that uh, I've worked with them on is to discover the purpose of the company that. Mm -hmm. uh, that really energize would energize the team if they could articulate it, and mm -hmm. and then they always start with the you know serving the customer and being a really good engineer or whatever they do. 
And then when I asked them, okay, why is this important? Then can they start to go deeper? And eventually we often get to a point when it's about helping other people. So ultimately this is meaningful because someone will benefit from them. Someone's life is going to be better. And when they realize that this is what they are doing, then as you say, they, they light up and they get so excited that kind of they, they figured out what, what their company was all about. I, I had this, this client uh, who was uh, in uh, a laundry business and he complained that he, they couldn't attract uh, great executives because it was a dirty business pushing dirty laundry around and very hot and steam room and, and was not sexy at all. And uh, we brainstormed with a group, group of uh, CEOs, and it turned out that they were using uh, environmentally friendly uh, detergents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also created for their customers this feeling of, of cleanliness and comfort uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, safety. And when we started talking about that, then, then suddenly the business turned out to be a really cutting edge in terms of what it was doing, the, the difference it was making in people's lives. And, they fill that position, they fill two executive positions up in the next uh, six months as a result. So beautiful. that can be real powerful. Absolutely beautiful work, Steve. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. So uh, uh, let me ask you, Susan, about the this relationship with the earth. So, so you talk about it's not just having relationship with each other, but also with earth. And maybe a stupid question, but why is this important and how can you have a relationship with an inanimate, inanimate object like the earth, which, which you might argue is this statement? Yeah, well, it's not a stupid question at all. Why does it matter? Because we are in an existential crisis around climate change and it, we don't seem to be having solutions that are going to make a difference in a way that is going to put everybody's minds at ease. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of stress and anxiety about this and we seem to be getting worse and worse. So something is missing unless we are simply resigned to um, the outcome that this, the climate scientists are predicting. And to me, what's missing is a holistic approach. And when I was caring for Christopher, Um, Of course, I wanted to provide his medical care, physical care, nutritional care. But if I just left it at that, he would have given up and maybe not even have tried to heal. But by helping him feel safe, loved and cared for, and to bring all of those resources, again, all that information we talked about, why wouldn't we tap into all the resources for healing? So for, for, for a patient to heal, they need to bring all their emotional, psychological, and spiritual resources to the table and get their loved ones involved. And so I feel that that's what we need to do for Earth now. And I could be completely wrong, Steve, but at this point, we have nothing to lose (laughs) and everything to gain, um, not only for Earth, but for ourselves, because environmental psychology tells us that when we form a a connection to, to Earth and the natural world, that it is good for our physical, emotional, and psychological health. So why don't we take care of ourselves in that way? And it just might help earth too. So why would we do that with an inanimate object? Well, I guess I would ask you, Steve, do you take care of your house and your car and your, and your things and your business? You know, do you feel that they have their own energy, their own soul in a way? And do they merit um, TLC just like your body and your other loved ones? 
you know, most people would say, yeah, they, they do. And, um, and I think that's the most superficial reason, but there's also evidence and, and not everybody agrees with this, um, but there are theories in quantum physics that suggest that all matter is conscious. All matter is conscious. And so if we believe our, our animals and our pets and maybe even the plants and trees have consciousness, then why wouldn't the biological organism that hosts them be conscious too? The Gaia hypothesis is, is pretty well accepted by ecologists, which says that earth is a self-regulating organism that sustains life. So, so if, I don't know if they use the word organism, but, but earth self-regulates to sustain life on, on, on her, on her being. And so is she an inanimate object or is she a unique biological organism? And, and, and it's possible according to quantum physics that, that earth is conscious. So if that's the case, then what it is, what is it that we're actually doing with earth? We're treating earth like an inanimate object that is just there to provide for us. If we did that with our own parents who raised us, you can imagine it would not be very good for our relationship or our health uh, and the long-term viability of that unit. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's definitely a, it's a self-regulating organism. It might actually regulate us off its uh, surface if you continue <laughs> to do that, because uh, I think uh, it's gonna be us who will go first, right? If yes. the environment is going to come back, uh, maybe a mil- take, it will take a million years, but it's going to come back and uh, it's going to yeah. just uh, be rid of us. Yes. So, so that's uh, that's super interesting. So what what does that look like? Because I, I struggle with this idea sometimes. I mean, I, I try to do uh, what I can, you know, drive an environmentally friendly car and, um, you know, recycle and try to follow my kids uh, instructions into in terms of uh, what I should be doing mm-hmm. but but how can someone take on this as a relationship it feels like it can be an overwhelming thing if if uh, yeah. if I am the caretaker of the earth um, there's so many things to do that it's, it's impossible to do a good job so what are some of the low-hanging fruits that we can do or how does how does that relationship work yeah, well, I encourage you not to use your mind, Steve, as, as smart as you are. Um, our minds can only process and understand so much information, and the information is of questionable quality and completeness anyway. And so, you know, uh, you know, we just have to make the best decisions we can in terms of being consumers and all that. But, but in terms of your relationship with Earth, you, my recommendation is that you mind your relationship with Earth. You don't have to worry about everybody else's relationship with earth and that you care for earth as you would any other loved one. So how do you care for your current loved ones? And especially those that are ailing, like what, what would you do with them? What would you, what would your heart ask you to do? Well, for me, if I had a loved one who was sick and needed me, I would drop what I was doing and I would go spend time with, with them and I would notice how they're doing and I would check in. And if I saw that something needed to be done, I would do it if I could. I mean, obviously I couldn't do everything by myself, but I would do what I could. I would express my love and gratitude to them. Um, I would notice how beautiful and wonderful they were. And I might reminisce about 
all the ways they've cared for me and were generous with me and taught me so much, I would absolutely pray and meditate for their healing and their well-being. And if I were more artistic, I might paint or sing a song or, you know, do something to entertain um, that loved one and to celebrate them. Um, and, and the list is endless. That, that's just some of the things that I would do. I would also just really listen. So, you know, just being quiet and paying attention to the whispers, you know, even our, like our pets or our babies that, that don't have English words for us in complete sentences, we can communicate with them and we can communicate with earth. And so, but it requires shutting off our monkey mind and listening with our heart and soul. And all of those things are good for us. They bring us insight and inspiration and healing, a sense of calm and peace that lowers our blood pressure, uh, our sense of well-being. And to me, it's, it's what earth uh, wants from us too, that we return to relationship with her. And when we do that, if we did that on a regular basis, I think we're much more likely to make the right choices for Earth. Um, we wouldn't choose to drill and to um, harm uh, rare species and you know pollute and that kind of thing. That's that's great. That's uh, a lot of things to to reflect about. I'll have to really send to this podcast myself for sure so so let's talk, uh, let's switch gears here and talk about a couple other things that i really want us to dive into before we wrap up here so what i'm really curious about is you talk about striving to transcend ourselves and i'm really curious about this whole idea of transcendence and is it even possible and what does the end state look like so if someone is transcendent or transcended themselves what does that person look like Great question. So self-transcendence refers to connecting to something greater than ourselves. And that can be, oftentimes it's an emotional end state where, where we might go from feeling bored or interested or um, curious to inspired and in awe and uh, having a sense of wonder and a sense of oneness with all. So, so it's sort of a degree of the state of our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And when the more that we are listening to that inner wisdom and pursuing our authentic purpose, our soul's work, the more we connect to that higher self and, and the more we live that in, in our work and in our personal life, the more we become that, that soul that was born on this earth for a unique purpose. And to me, when we become, when we are in alignment with that, we are decreasing the barriers between us and our soul. And in so doing, I actually believe, Steve, that we can create heaven on earth in that way, right? When we become the, our, 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 our expressions of our physical being is in alignment with our soul, we, we can create heaven on earth for ourselves. And imagine that we do that across the globe. And so this is how I feel that heaven on earth is actually possible and it's available in pockets. And I don't know if I'm, I'm there yet, but uh, three years ago, I had a disastrous trauma. And right now I, I know peace and inspiration and a sense of meaning and purpose, unlike anything I've ever experienced. And uh, I, just, I just know that it's available for all of us. Steve and um, I think it's it's within reach 
for everybody. And especially if we partner with earth and be the, the family members, the caretakers, the lovers, uh, the friends of earth that we are meant to be that um, we can find our true selves, not only individually, but as a collective. And is this something that we have to find in our work? I mean, I assume someone who is independently wealthy can, can find it anywhere, right? But someone who is, um, you know, whose days are filled with working for a living, they, they have to, the only place they can look for it is in their work, I suppose. Is, is, that, is this how you see it? And, and then if, if that's the case, then how does one reconcile, you know, the, the pressures in life with the transcendence and to what degree can I, just completely give myself over to this transcendence and then um, you know is it going you know is, is it going to take care of me or h- how does that work how do you uh, draw the balance and, and, and the line yeah. yeah well it was probably about 2010 when I first had my first aha moment about what my life's purpose was and it was that I was here to help people become the, the best version of themselves except I didn't have any skills Steve <laughs> And I didn't have any knowledge or education. And so, um, you know, this can be very frustrating to people that you actually have to develop the skills and knowledge before you just give your life over to a new, a new passion and vocation. And it took me six years before I found my dream job um, doing that work full time. And, it, you know, and that was five years ago. Um, and I've, I've had a lot more changes where I've taken my life to another level. So, so the analogy of going up the mountain, I, I think is, 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 is appropriate here that you don't just go from the valley to the apex, you have to climb up and you have to go around in circles a lot. And sometimes you have to double back and climb over rocks and go through valleys. And sometimes you just fall down the hill <laughs> and, but but it's a, it's a long process. And, um, but you can start with one step at a time and that step might be, okay, I'm going to develop my inner voice, you know, for six months and I'm going to just do that. And I'm going to start connecting with nature and I'm going to, uh, just pursue those little things that really spark my interest and my joy. And I'm going to read about those. Joseph Campbell talks about that as follow your bliss. So those things that just feel so exciting and you can't get enough of, or that you, you do these things and people go, wow, Steve, how'd you do that? That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or when you just feel joyful doing things, those, those are your, your breadcrumbs to your highest self. And um, you can do it a few minutes a day and, and, then, and then a few hours a day and, and, and then a few days a month and so on. And, you, and the more you develop your skill, in it, the more you'll be invited to do it, the more successful you'll be, the more people will start paying you for it. Um, and you'll do your best work because you're going to have unlimited energy for it. It'll align with your natural talents and it's what the world needs. And so I think we're each here for that purpose. We're given all the tools that we need in order to do it. And it's just a question of, do we listen to those whispers, honor our curiosity and our energy and our pleasure? Um, and pick ourselves up and learn every time we get knocked down because that's going to happen too. And so it's a step-by-step process, but the, the journey up the mountain is, is wonderful and the view is um, unsurpassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very poetic. And I'm thinking about the entrepreneur that 
is constantly in a constant uh, stage of excitement about all the opportunities that they could pursue. And in an ideal situation, they all fall into their mission, their purpose. So it's not about um, money necessarily, obviously it's a byproduct, but it's about uh, maybe serving the customers in a bigger way, which will, you know, which, which takes some risks to be able to uh, manifest, but it's very exciting. And then there are also the constraints that you cannot run after shiny objects because that, uh, you know, that is, is too risky. And then, you know, you get back to square uh, one and, and you no longer have the ability to pursue those dreams. So maybe I'm rambling here a little bit, but uh, I think it's a real thing. I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs that suffer from this shiny object. It's not a question of them not wanting to um, self-actualize. Um, uh, it's more about how to channel the energy that they don't just self-actualize, but also actually uh, get uh, execute so that you know they generate the cash that ties them over for the following uh, week and months. So. I guess it was, I don't mean to solve that problem on this call. That's probably not realistic. So before we wrap up, I just want to quickly ask you, so you are, you describe yourself as an entrepreneur, yet you run a foundation. And how do your nonprofit associates accept an entrepreneur as their leader is my question. Well, um, I, I guess you would have to ask them, <laughs> but um I think I think uh, entrepreneur. I use that term. Um, I use that term as a way to describe the change um, that that we're trying to create in the world, and and that it, it will generate income because even as a nonprofit, we have to sustain ourselves and we have to feed ourselves. At least that's the plan, and um, and and that and that if we do it well, we can also um, sustain and feed others others too, because this is a great big tent and there's a lot of work to be done. We can't do it all by ourselves. And we hope to spark uh, a lot of activity in this area, which is namely healing for humanity and earth separately and together. And it'll bring uh, well-being and achievement and uh, for, for everybody. So, so we're, we're aiming to change the world with our work. Steve and the people who jump on board have a resonance with that, and uh, and it, and it's not about money. In fact, our product is available to everybody on a gift economy basis. We just believe that it'll be of sufficient interest to everybody that we will generate enough income in order to keep our mission going. Okay, so let's talk about uh, what uh, is available and where can people reach you and how can they learn more about what you do and connect with you personally. Yeah. So again, we, we have online learning modules that are available 24-7 uh, on relationship skill development. So our relationship with ourselves, each other, and earth, and uh, the loving force that connects us, whatever that might mean to you. Um, to, to me, it means our soul's purpose and what we're here on earth to do. And um, we have a growing number of modules on that spectrum. Right now we have six and we're about to add two or three more over the next few weeks. And the, the modules are suitable for individuals to learn on their own or much better to learn in groups. Um, they're self-facilitating and self 
guided. So you don't need me there, but if you want somebody from the foundation to come help, we can do that too. You can find us at healingedu.org. And again, our modules are available on basically a name your own tuition rate. And we welcome people who have means to pay it forward and pay full tuition or more. And those that, that can't afford that to pay what they're able or just pay zero. And, and all are equally welcome to participate. This is, this is uh, skills and knowledge we believe humanity needs that we all need. Um, and you can contact me at Susanna at familyandcommunityhealing.org. Fantastic. So Susanna, thank you so much for, for uh, sharing uh, the information uh, and also to be so generous with your foundation's services that uh, they are available, as, as we said, the gift economy. I mean, that could deserve another podcast to talk about the gift economy. Um, I've, we've not uh, discussed this term on this podcast, but, uh, but nevertheless, you know, I think we have enough for, uh, for three, probably three episodes, what we discussed. So thank you for coming on the show. And for our listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, please don't forget to rate and review us and subscribe on YouTube so that we get out to more people and uh, have more people listen to the show. It's Susanna Vupon covered and, uh, and other exciting entrepreneurs that are going to come next week. So stay tuned. And Susanna, thanks again for coming on the show.